0: and welcome to another episode of Equals. This is Nadia. And Max, it's Davos week, right? When the world's richest people on earth typically come together. But this time, I know it's moved online, but it's it's still a big moment for Oxfam's work on inequality, right?
1: Uh, it's our biggest moment of the year. It's when we release our annual Davos report, uh, You know, looking at the, the wealth of the world's billionaires, the scale of inequality in the world, This year, a particularly special year because the report has a lead author, our our comrade and co-host, Nabil. So uh, yeah, quite a special moment.
0: It is. And he did such a great job. He's a magnificent writer. And I can't believe he managed to get that all done before he went on parental leave a few weeks ago. Amazing.
1: Yeah, no, he did a good job. It's well written. I mean, obviously, I was still the brains behind the whole project. Oh my God. Just, Just in case listeners are... In any doubt, but I mean, yeah, he did do well. Yeah, I mean, I'm really pleased for him on that one.
0: I'm sensing some rather explicit professional jealousy here. Is it because Greta Thunberg retweeted him and started following him?
1: Uh, maybe, maybe just a little bit. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm green with envy. But I mean the, the, I think the key moment for me was when he sent me a WhatsApp saying, "Max, it's so bad. I've lost I've lost track of my notifications. I've got so many."
0: He knows how to push your buttons.
1: <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've just been spitting since then. So, but yeah, um, I mean, that aside, it, it is a brilliant report. He's done an amazing job. And so of the many others who, who contributed. I mean, it's such a team effort, the whole Davos moment inside Oxfam. And it's just a pleasure to work with all these amazing people all over the world. So, yeah, it's been a great week.
0: It is. And so take us through some of the killer facts, because, you know, this has been making media headlines and, and I've seen a lot of them. But so the big one that everyone keeps waiting for every year is, you know, how many more billionaires are there or how, how big has the increase been in billionaire wealth this year? What have we shown?
1: Well, I think, you know, when we did this last year, and this is all in the context of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. we're looking at, you know, what's happened to the people at the bottom and the people at the top during COVID-19. And what we saw last year was that the richest people in the world had seen their fortunes more or less return to where they were when the pandemic began, whereas everybody else was still struggling. And then when we came to look at the billionaire numbers again, kind of last summer, I mean, I think we were all absolutely astounded what had happened since then because it, it looked more like one of those graphs for, you know, the Omicron variant. You know, mm. the fortunes are just shut up in a way that we've never seen before. In fact, that's one of the facts. You know, this is the biggest single increase in billionaire wealth in recorded history. Wow. And, and, and it's gone up more in the last 20 months um, since COVID began than it has in the whole of the 14 years previously put together. So it's hard to hard to express how much it's off the charts this year
0: that is crazy it's such a big dichotomy between what's happening on the one hand with billionaires and what's happening with the rest of the world and one one of the facts that caught my eye was actually well the title of the report right inequality kills that fact that it's killing someone every four seconds can you break it down a bit more for me so i understand that and our listeners do too
1: yeah, that was something we would never done before. It was a fantastic idea from one of our colleagues, Victoria Harnett, because I think we'd all been thinking a lot about the impact of various inequalities on deaths from COVID-19. So, for instance, if you're black in America, you're far, far more likely to be killed by COVID-19 than if you're white. If you're living in developing countries, obviously you can't access vaccines. You're much more likely to die. Mm hmm multiple inequalities kind of interacting with this disease and this sense that inequality is a killer and then it was victoria said like could we put a number on that could we actually try and make a, a an attempt at least to work out how many people are killed by inequality or putting it more positively if we were to tackle various inequalities like access to food or access to healthcare, how many less people would die on a daily basis right. so I, th- I think it's a really good, a re- fantastic idea. We did manage to pull it off.
0: It, absolutely. It's, uh, it was really powerful, actually, to see, that, to see that come out. And actually, today we're going to talk to someone who is truly one of the most brilliant economists working on inequality uh, to talk about the scale of, of this inequality from his perspective. Branko Milanovic is a professor at City University of New York, also teaches at London School of Economics, Used to be at the World Bank, my favorite institution, and yeah.
1: (laughs) What, you prefer the World Bank to the IMF, or...?
0: I mean no I have to say they're just so different don't make me choose don't make me choose (laughs) (laughs) but right he's famous for his elephant curve that was where I first came across his name Um, and of course has been a prolific writer on inequality in 2020 magazine prospect even included him among the top 50 thinkers in the world so really keen to hear what he has to say
1: Yeah, I mean, I was quite intimidated. He's one of my heroes. Um, It was a a great interview, and uh, I think it's it's really interesting. So let's listen.
0: Branko, thank you so much for joining us. It's an immense pleasure to have you on with us today. Um, I want to go straight into the meat of this and, and really talk about the scale of what's happening today. I mean, in in Oxfam's Davos report this year, we really tried hard to highlight how dramatic COVID-19's impact, in fact, has been on inequality. Um, And there's not much you don't know about the history of inequality. So trying to understand in the grand scheme of things, how does this current moment in history compare? Like how important do you think the pandemic has been to inequality in the world?
2: You know I generally tend to be of the skeptic kind of mind saying well you know people oftentimes exaggerate the importance of a certain moment because they believe in that moment they believe not, nothing right. has ever happened like now. But I do now after two years I do think that we are really living a very important moment in history The changes are important. And the longer the epidemic lasts, the more irreversible they are because you know, you change your way of life. It's a little bit like cultural revolution in China. You have had now lots of people in many countries, thousands, millions maybe, kids who have not gone in school as they would have done normally. So this is, I think, an important moment. Now, going back directly to your question. First, what we know, in my opinion. We know that, of course, GDP of the world and, practically of all countries, I think 97 countries of such, has gone down. If it went down, it actually does lead almost arithmetically to an increase in poverty, even if nothing happens to inequality, because everybody's income would go down by whatever, three, five, or some cases like India has happened 10% down. So it did lead to an increase in poverty. So with that, we know for sure. Then when it comes to inequality, it's, it's a more difficult story about income inequality. As you know, the World Bank now has this report, but it does conclude that uh, for the first time, maybe in 30 or 35 years, there was either a stop in the decline in inequality or an increase, most likely an increase in income inequality when you add the in, you know, distributional data, which actually are still coming in, you know, and they're available only for a few countries. Then it comes to, to wealth inequality that you mentioned. And that has, it seems, really got, got out of bounds with this incredible wealth that has been amassed by the, by the billionaires. And I don't think it was really expected. So we really do have, when you, the further you go from income, go to wealth, and especially the top, we have an, an incredible explosion of inequality. And the final point is an inequality in terms of um, morbidity and mortality. And that was also quite well known that people who actually had jobs where they had to show up were much more exposed to the uh, potential virus than the others. I was at first really careful about that, but now I'm really not. I'm actually not averse at all to saying that we have had an explosion of different types of inequalities uh, of a kind that we have not seen globally in our um, experience.
0: Franco, you're most famous for your work on analyzing the way inequality between rich countries and the rest of the world has actually reduced over recent decades, but now it appears that covid nineteen has thrown this into reverse. How worried should we be about this?
2: You know that I think is one of I think big concerns in my opinion. Uh, and again, let's kind of divide the countries in several groups. Uh, uh, let's suppose that the rich countries are able to uh, rebound. They are actually rebounding already and they continue growing. Let's suppose China continues growing. China has, as you know, done quite well and let's suppose things don't get worse there. Well, that leaves us where I think with two large parts of the world that we, uh, at least I, and I don't think anybody knows what will happen. First in India, which at first was doing well, but then had a very bad year, 2000. 20 and I think probably 2021, at least one part of the year with the large declines. And then it comes to Africa as well. Well, Africa did not have catastrophic declines, but Africa, as we all know, and actually you know most of the poorer countries have very low rate of vaccination. So we don't know if maybe they might actually experience really what now the, the rich countries like the US are experiencing with the Omicron and with the increase in the, in the number of cases, which then would mean that essentially we would not, have seen, we would not see the end of this um, epidemic or pandemic very soon and the rate of growth may be low So then, or negative. So then when you put all this together, you can say, well, it could happen that actually differences between countries continue rising. Uh, as I said, it is all hypothetical because we don't know what will happen, but I think it is, uh, it is, it is certainly a concern, uh, and there's one or another inequality that I didn't mention, and that's inequality, of course, in the distribution of vaccine, which everybody talks about and people know, but uh, nobody seems to be doing very much.
0: Yes, and it really is this inequality and access to vaccines which is driving, um, you know, this lower growth in developing countries, and is in turn increasing the gap that we're seeing, right, between these rich and poorer nations. And really, the failure to address vaccine inequity by rich nations doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon, um, as we've talked about many times on this podcast. But I'm trying beyond the pandemic. What needs to happen to see that inequality between nations start to reduce again? Like, how can we address this once we get past the pandemic even to make sure it's not a long term issue?
2: You know What is interesting is that the pandemic happened obviously by accident at the same point where China is no longer contributing to the reduction in global inequality, and even to the reduction of absolute poverty. First, because it has quasi-eliminated absolute poverty, and secondly, in terms of its mean income, it has reached the mean income of the world, and its growth, while it is not disequalizing, is no longer equalizing. You know, China is no longer like the poor country it was 20 or 30 years ago. So that's a very interesting point that we don't have China as the engine of global income reduction. And that means there are two remaining technically engines. And again, to, to the simplify when I speak of Africa, it's always like everybody says the simplification, but instead of Africa take like five or six big African countries, Nigeria, Sudan, Ethiopia, South Africa, uh, uh, Congo with large populations and then look at their growth rate and in India because there should be the new engines. And if indeed these two engines, I mean, two Africa saying as a whole, but as I said, you can take it like five or six countries and according Ethiopia, which now is in the midst of a civil war. If you take these countries and if these engines do not work, in other words, if they do not produce sufficient growth, then we would actually have a situation of an increasing inequality, unre- even not directly related to the pandemic. But to inability of those countries to generate high rate of growth, and I think so. That's what I find is, is superimposed on top I, all these issues that I mentioned to you now. They were there before pandemic. The pandemic, and then the pandemic came. So I think in that sense, uh, I become somewhat pessimistic. So, but of course, the solution is really increasing the rate of growth of those countries, and obviously reducing inequality. But first of all, I think uh, growth
1: rates. Uh, it is absolutely true that these trends were there, uh, slowing poverty reduction, kind of rapid increases in billionaire wealth long before the pandemic. But it's also true that COVID 19 has added fuel to that inequality fire in a huge way. And a, a, a very big part of this increase in billionaire wealth that we've seen during the pandemic is itself a byproduct of the huge amount of money that was poured into the economies of rich nations by governments to kind of support support the market, to support individuals. How do you think that government support has impacted on inequality uh, in rich nations?
2: The rich countries were able to uh, engage into extremely high amounts of government spending. That's something that we have not seen actually ever, I think, in history. Uh, You have not seen, except in the cases of war, when you had a large increase in government spending, for example, in the UK and the US in the 1940s, but it was a different spending. It was not money being paid to people so that they to compensate for the loss of a job. It was money paid to produce tanks or missiles, you know, or in those days, maybe not missiles, but airplanes. Uh, But now we had like 20% of GDP in the US, I think it's even more than 20% being used as an income support. That, that's kind of uh, never seen before. And that's why when you look at the US first data published for 2020, US shows a decline of inequality. That's, that's very important. Actually the US in 2020, according to the current population survey has a decline of inequality. And this is I've seen in some new data that actually uh, um, Conchita D'Ambrosio has shown for Europe uh, that also Spain, Germany, and France, I think, were there. Uh, the the first numbers show a decline of inequality. So you know, it's it's sense the reason that West European rich countries have been able to reduce inequality during that period because of such huge transfers. I'm talking about inequality in income. Now, the wealth inequality as we see it in the United States. Uh, has uh, I think by all probably we don't have the estimations yet but we see what's happening at the top it has probably gone up but that and let me just say that option of redistribution was not open to countries that are not rich enough india could not distribute 20% of gdp
1: branko what do you think is the impact of this growing wealth inequality on what you call liberal capitalist democracies you know the 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 western rich countries does it worry you i think that the impact is uh, in my opinion,
2: negative in the following sense is that actually these rich people and exceedingly rich people are able to exercise more and more of a political influence in in countries. The US I think is is the best example because of the large expenses that are necessitated during the electoral process. I recently, I mentioned that in the capitalism alone, uh, there are numbers that have been studied of electoral contributions. And 40% of the electoral contributions in 2016 uh, came from one-tenth one-hundredth of the top 100. So 1% of the top 1% contributed 40% of the electoral contributions. Uh, when you look at the top 10%, they contributed practically 90%. So, you know, what is interesting is that you have, I don't think there is any expenditure, even expenditure of private jets, that is as heavily concentrated as the expenditure on electoral uh, support of different uh, political candidates. And then the question that you ask yourself, like why are these people who are so rich spending that money? And of course, Hillary Clinton, who got lots of money, would tell you, well, you know, they're just spending because they like this or that, so it doesn't influence me. But you know, they would be crazy. You know, people who have been actually fighting for each dollar over their whole life are now taking billions and just wasting. They're not wasting them. They're actually paying for the candidates that they believe are going to protect them and to actually make policies in their own interests. And moreover, what I see, I think, are very dangerous. And that's again, that's the case of of Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post is that more and more people are essentially buying and Bloomberg, for example, media. So you have this really trilateral combination of extremely wealthy people having a political influence and having the media because the media are very crucial to make people think one or the other way. So in that sense, I think this is very dangerous development. So it's not development that dangerous is dangerous in some kind of a vague way that Bill, uh, Bezos has 15 houses. It's dangerous because of the political influence. I think Angus Deaton actually rightly emphasised this political channel, whereby inequality, particularly in wealth, actually has a huge impact.
0: Branko, we've uh, we've reached the end of our time here. Sorry, Max, do you want to add on that?
1: I'd love to talk all night about it, but no, let's. <laughs> <I try know>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It is truly a, a scary time in history, and uh, I'm glad that we can we can have these conversations with with such great minds such as yourself.
2: Well, thank you very much. It is a pleasure. I was it was really excellent conversation. Actually, the, the time went so quickly that I didn't even realize that we came to the end.
1: <laughs> thank you very much right, for great questions. Thank you, thank you.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I am somehow way more fearful after this interview. I mean, I know we've been saying it for a while. We've we've seen the trend, we've seen the data, but somehow when Branko Milanovic says that there's been an explosion in inequality that should be seriously worrying us, I am way more scared now.
1: I think it is really scary. I think we are Witnessing an absolutely historic explosion in inequality. And that's so awful for so many people. But, you know, what governments do in the next year or two will either, I mean, as your work on the World Bank and the IMF shows, you know, they they could either double down and we could see this increase kind of cemented in forever, Hmm. or they could really do the kinds of things that could turn it around.
0: That's true. Well, that's slightly more hopeful because we are supposed to end on every episode on a hopeful note, aren't we?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be hopeful in so many of our episodes, isn't it? But I do think our key message this week uh, in the report, apart from all these scary statistics, was this demand for greater taxation of the richest. And I think that's really cut through. And I think we are seeing a shift in public opinion and much, much more politicians talking about the, the necessity of taxing wealth more. So I think that's where my hope is. I think if we fight hard enough, we will see greater and higher taxes on rich people in the next few years as a result of the impact of this pandemic. And that has to be a good thing.
0: It is. And it sounds like a a good note to end on as well. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Do follow us on Twitter at Equals Hope.
1: Oh, or you could follow Nabil, you know, (laughs) uh, he's quite big on Twitter now, I think. Uh, yeah, Superstar. (laughs) Yeah, No jealousy. No, none,
0: none. (laughs) Bye, everyone.
1: Thanks, everyone. Bye now.